time. Let's give it up for the band, can we? Great job, you guys. Wow. Wasn't it awesome seeing all those people just get tanked? It was just so good to see old people. We just saw so many deaths tonight. <laughs> so many resurrections, huh? So awesome. Well, um, you know, we're the real Christians right here. We don't care about Super Bowls. We care about Jesus. Yeah. Aren't you glad we got... This is a good night just to get rid of all the people who aren't really committed. <laughs> yes. I noticed Bill isn't here. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Too bad we're streaming that. I will be available for a new job soon. Well, I just got back from London. How many of you are British right here? All the Brits. Amen. That was fun. We spent a, about seven days in London and just had a really great time there. And then we went to D.C. to the prayer breakfast there and listened to, uh, we got to hear the president speak, what I, I thought was pretty good. I actually thought it was actually a very good speech. And uh, yeah, woohoo. Okay, yeah. Woo. <laughs> yep. I know a lot of people do to the president what they do to my sermons. They, they, um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I was going to say they transcribe them and then, you know, pay, by line by line, they critique each of my, what, what they think I said. So anyway, the president and I, we have that in common. Not much of anything else, but we have that in common. So anyway, we're going to have a good night tonight. Why don't you grab your neighbor's hand and just give him some love right there. Single people, this is the best. That's why they come to my sermons instead of the Super Bowl. People haven't figured out my secret. So Lord, we just bless this night. We pray for more. We pray that you would continue to just to minister to us and open our eyes, open our spirits, open our hearts. God, we just pray you would just dramatically impact us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk about poverty, riches, and wealth. And um, yeah, yeah, we'll just, we'll just have a real quiet night tonight. <laughs> Started off well already. Um, you know, uh, I've told this story several times, and I think I've put it in at least one of my books. Um, when we um, left Weaverville, we'd sold our businesses uh, to, actually to our supplier. And so our auto parts supplier, who was the uh, second largest supplier of auto parts in the world, actually purchased our three auto parts stores. So the goal was for us to move to Reading and to have a couple hundred thousand dollars, that's about what we would have had out of the sale, to live for three or four years while, um, while we build the school. And, and we, we actually came on staff for free, so we, we didn't get paid the first year. And Bethel was you know, in pretty tough financial situation. So that was kind of our plan. And we, had, um, we were in escrow for several months, and when we came to we just decided to move instead of, you know, and not wait for the escort to close. We just moved, and, and we were here, I think, maybe less than two months. And the people, the, the, the business, the corporation, the public corporation that was buying us actually went bankrupt. Yeah, after 18 months of escrow. Um, that, that sort of made a mess out of things, not just because they weren't buying our store, but because they're the place where we were buying our parts from. And all of a sudden, it was like a dairy, you know, it's like owning a dairy and not having any milk. 
And so 3,200 stores were affected, so no warehouse wanted to deal with any of us. And consequently, the bottom line is we went broke. We got here two years. I mean, we got here two months, and after two months, instead of having $200,000, we owed $1.8 million. So we, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was a little rough. We owed 122 suppliers. And so um, it was pretty stressful. And we'd only been here two months, and the school wouldn't start for seven more months. So we went, to the, we, went to talk, we went in and talked to Bill, and then we went to talk to the elders at a board meeting about um, a few nights later. And I said to the board, I explained the whole situation to them in much more detail than I'm sharing here. I shared for about a half an hour our, our journey. And I said, We're, you know, we have no choice but to go bankrupt. I mean, we, we don't even have a wage yet. It would take us three lifetimes to pay back $1.8 million. And, um, and we owe 122 suppliers, and some of those suppliers are in Reading. So it's going to feel really awkward, you know, being someplace and having one of my suppliers walk in. It just doesn't feel like it's good for Bethel, it's, and I need to go find a job. So I got done with this whole, you know, sharing this whole story, obviously in tears. And one of the elders, the oldest elder on the team, board member, stood up. And he said, um, we're a family, and families stay together in troubled times. We don't want you to leave. And secondly, I would ask that we, do, that we do one thing for you. We would like to pray for you and ask God to do a miracle in your finances. And, and I would ask that you wouldn't bankrupt for six months, that you, would give, that you would let us pray for you for six months. And I said, I have no faith for that. And he said, would you trust mine? I'm like, well, what's six months? I didn't think I was going to really trust his, but I actually was thinking, what's six months? You know, what could it hurt? 180 days. So I said, sure, you know, okay, great. Well, whatever you want us to do. And it was a very emotional night. You know, the leaders were all crying, and we were too. It was a very difficult time. Anyway, um, lots of stuff happened there. I'll just tell you a couple of them. Two months later, we got forgiven $950,000. It was awesome. And it's like, all right, the dream is alive. We only have 850 to go, 1,000 to go. And uh, about, uh, about, I think about two or three months later, this all happened within about six months' time, um, we owed the SBA um, 200, I'm $322,000 after they had repossessed our house and taken everything that we owned. And uh, so we had made friends with the guy, the repo guy, who um, we led to the Lord in the middle of the whole thing. <laughs> it was pretty, it was like the, you know, it, the best and worst of times. It was the best and worst of times. And he called one day, just out of the blue, and he said, hey, Chris, he said, I've been thinking about this whole situation. He said, why don't you make us a com- an offer and compromise? I, I don't even know what that was. I said, what is that? And he said, well, you just offer some money, and we'll, we'll, maybe we'll agree to it, and we'll wipe the rest of your debt clean. I said, well, you don't understand. I have no money. He said, well, just you know, make some... I said, no, you don't understand. Groceries? I don't have groceries for next week. He said, well, just make an offer. I said, okay, I offer $9,000. So two days later, he calls me back and said, well, they'll settle for $11,000, and they'll wipe your debt completely clear, and they'll not put it on your credit. I'm like, so I'm going to give you $11,000, and you're going to forgive 320 of it. They said, yeah. I said, okay, I only have one problem. I have no money. 
He said, we'll give you 30 days to get it. <laughs> okay, let's see. Let me repeat this. So he said, we'll give you 30 days to get it. And I'm like, all right. It really cool. He called me about 14 days into it and said, how are you doing? I said, we still have no money. He said, you know, I'm praying for you. I'm like, cool, you know, new believer. That always just helps. <laughs> anyway, and then this thing happened. I, I went into the prayer chapel. Um, not in the prayer chapel. I'm sorry. We, we, had a, uh, we used to pray upstairs. And we were just praying up there on, a, I think it was on a, um, on a Friday night. And uh, I had got up there late, and there was probably, I don't know, 50, 60 people, and we just, you know, we were just walking in circles, just praying. And when I walked in the room, Bill turned to me, and he handed me an envelope, what I thought was an envelope, but it turned out to be a check folded in half. And so I opened the check, and it was a check for $3,000. Now, you have to understand, $3,000, that's quite a bit of money, but $3,000 when you're completely and totally broke, and you still owe, you know, what, $850,000, it's a miracle. I wrecked the prayer meeting. I started screaming, look, someone gave me $3,000. And Bill looked over at me and he goes, you should look again, because he'd already looked at my check. <laughs> I looked down and it was $30,000. $30,000. And the guy who signed it, I had never heard of before. Now I went nuts. You know, the prayer meeting was ruined. We were praying to mammon instead of God. <laughs> obviously joking. Anyway, it was, it was very powerful. And obviously, it was three days before the, the 11000 was due. So I was able to pay the 11000 off and the IRS off and our State Board of Equalization. And those three came to exactly $30,000, I think almost to the dollar. So that was awesome. A really strange thing happened. This guy, um, um, I'll just call him John, this guy John that gave us the money. I, I really had never met him before, and I found out who he was, and it turns out that he, had a, he got an inheritance from his father, and he had a dream, and in the dream he saw, him, he saw, he saw God told him in the dream to give Kathy and I $30,000. So he, didn't even, he knew us just because he'd gone to a class, sat in the back, we'd never had a, a discussion, so he gave me the money. Really cool. We got a $3 card, you know, a really expensive car. We could afford one now. And we thanked him. And then a strange thing happened. Now, this strange thing that happened, I didn't actually know it was happening until six months, till it was, till six months later. And that was that John would come in this door, and I would see him, and I would go all the way around and come in this door. And John would, would be over there. I'd go all the way around. If I see him in the hall, I would turn around and go all the way around the other way. I didn't even know I was doing it. I was con unconsciously ignorant. You know what that means? You don't know that you don't know. <laughs> How many of you know that you don't know? Well, if you're shaking your head, then you know you don't know. And that's a higher level than you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> one day, Bill was preaching, and this, we only had one service on Sunday morning at that, at that time, and and Bill was preaching, and he was kept circling the airport, you know, instead of... And, so, and I had to go to the bathroom so bad, and he was, he was like, and in conclusion, and in conclusion. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to pee my pants. So I finally jumped up, and I ran out those double doors and into the bathroom, and John was in there. But his back was to me. So I ran out the doors, and I ran all the way around, and we, this is before we had Hebrews. There was a bathroom over there. I'm running all around, and then I have this thought, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> no, it seems obvious. 
You know, how many know that adversity introduces a man to himself? And I just got introduced to me. I went home that night and went to bed. I could not sleep. I could not sleep. I laid there. Anybody ever do this? Lay there all night thinking? And I remember this distinctly. I, I was thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. And I remember not, I had, hadn't gone to sleep. And I remember the sun coming up and starting to shine in our window. And then I had this thought, maybe I should pray about it. <laughs> I know. You know, when you're a pastor and you get paid to pray, still didn't occur to me. So I'm laying there and I think, now it's probably, I don't know, whatever sunrise is, probably like five o'clock in the morning. And I say to the Lord, Lord, I think there's something wrong with me. He said, uh-huh. I said, do you know what it is? He said, uh-huh. I said, will you tell me? He said, do you really want to know? Now I'll spend another 15 minutes trying to figure out if I really want to know because how many know denial is a beautiful thing? And finally, I said, I really want to know. He said, here's the problem. He said, John gave you $30,000. I said, well, I know that part. Thank you. He said, well, you, af- you, you, af- you don't love yourself $30,000 worth. Are you afraid that if John gets to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money? Wow. You avoid him because you're afraid that if he gets to know you, he'll be sorry he gave you the money because you don't think you're worth $30,000 worth, and you think that if he gets to know you, he won't think you're worth $30,000 worth either. How many of you know intimacy means into me you see? Oh. I was absolutely floored. What was really shocking, which I haven't probably shared before, is this, is that all of a sudden, suddenly these, I don't know how to share this, but I don't know exactly how to say this, but video clips of my life with other Johns started flashing through my life from the time I was a little boy. And I saw that the truth is, I sabotaged my prosperity from the time I was little. I was always afraid of someone who loved me too much. And I realized then, and my message is going somewhere else tonight, but you won't let, you won't let someone love you more than you love yourself. You'll sabotage your relationship with anybody who loves you more than you love you. Jesus said, love your neighbor as. You know that word as has been, become really huge to me. That little as. Because as means the same way. Love your neighbor the way you love you. And how many of you understand that if you don't love you, you can love them. And when you don't love you, you won't let anybody else love you more than you love you. So... I spent a long time sabotaging my prosperity. And you know, in reflection, when you sabotage your prosperity, like when people give you stuff and you don't take it, you actually build a theology around poverty. I mean, because nobody goes, hey, I just don't, you know, it's very seldom that you actually know. No, let me, let me, I don't know. Let me just say it this way. I was unconsciously ignorant, so I didn't know that I didn't know. So the truth is, I never thought it was my problem. I thought it was a problem with wealth. And I'm like, Jesus doesn't want us to be wealthy. You know, there are lots of people trying to get wealthy and they just don't follow God. And the rich young ruler had to sell it all. I mean, I was the guy with that message. You know why? Because I didn't really want to look at what the real problem was. So I created a doctrine. I embraced the doctrine of poverty. Thinking, I mean, 
Consciously, I was thinking, you have to give it all up to love God. But unconsciously, I was actually afraid to look at the real issue. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that tonight. I'm going to talk a lot about money tonight. Jesus actually talked a lot about money. He actually told more parables about money than anything, any other thing in the Bible. Any other thing in the Gospels. No, um, if you write anything about wealth on Facebook, you will get a flurry of people telling you, oh, you're just that you know, prosperity gospel, you know, sitting in the golden chair, you know, taking people's money. You know, I, I mean, trust me, I experiment with it every once in a while. <laughs> Jesus said, love your enemies, and I have to make sure I have some so I can love them. You know, if you don't have any enemies, you're not doing anything worth resisting. That's a good word. Here's the most quoted verse on Facebook. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, have you ever heard that... The love of money is the root of all evil. I'm sorry the Bible doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root. Let me read it exactly. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It's not the root of all evil. It's the root of some evil. And by the way, when people quote it, they tend to take out the word love and just put money. The love of money is not the root of all evil. How many of you know there's lots of other things that are evil? But the love of money is the root of a evil. But how many understand that's the love of money, not money? Thank you, Chris, for clarifying that. That's all right. Now, so I want you to look at these verses. Would you do it with me tonight? Because you're not going to believe what you're about to hear. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Would you just read it with me? For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's go down to verse 17. Would you agree that verse 17 is still the same subject? Instruct, yes? Hello? Anybody home? Are you checking the score? Okay. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. He richly supplies us with all things to what? To sacrifice, to enjoy. Verse 18, instruct, those, instruct them to do good, to give all their money to the poor, and to follow me. Is that what your, verse, your version says? Oh, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may hold that which is life indeed. So that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Did you get what I just read? Okay, that's the scripture word for word, right? Didn't add to it. How many know that most rich people were not told to sell everything and give it to the poor and follow Jesus? How many know that most, Timothy wrote to all rich people, Jesus spoke to a specific person. What What did God say to all rich people? Be generous. Right? Don't be conceited. Be, give, give to people. Don't trust in riches. Be ready to share. 
and to build and build a foundation for the future, which is life indeed. Here's my point. God told one rich guy, sell everything, give it to the poor. One time in the gospel. People make that the foundation for all people who have money. In other words, if you have money, then there must be something evil about you. And Timothy said, listen, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, the love of money is the root of some evil, and when people have money, if people who are rich in this present world make sure they're not conceited and that their hope isn't based on money, and instruct them to do good and be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. How many know that that's what you should do if you're rich? Unless Jesus tells you to sell everything, you should be rich in good works, be generous, don't be conceited, and don't trust in your money. Pretty simple, really. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. We're going to read lots of scripture tonight. Sorry, it's Bible study. (laughs) Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. What is, in that verse, what is the inoculation for the love of money? It's an open book test. Be content. How many know contentment is inoculation of the love of money? If you're content, you're not going to chase money. Sorry, I'm going to puberty. (laughs) Okay. Luke 18, 18. Here's the second most quoted verses on Facebook. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mom and dad. He said, All these things I have kept from my youth. Jesus heard him and said, When Jesus heard him say this, He said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all your possessions and distribute to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But when he'd heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, how many of you understand that if you love your stuff more than you love God, then you've prostituted your soul? Okay, well said. Did you get that? Okay, so how many know the idea is to love God and not your stuff? Hang on to your stuff loosely because you never know when God might tell you to let go of your stuff and grab on to Him. I love Genesis chapter 14, verse 21. It's the story of Abraham. And Abraham, you'll remember that Lot, his nephew, was in Sodom. And Sodom and Gomorrah, those two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and two other cities got in a battle with four kings, with five kings, so four kings to five kings, and the five kings you know, won the battle, and they took Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and all of his family. They took him as POWs, prisoners of war, and when Abraham found out about it, he, he rounded up 600 men and went after five kings. We don't know much about the story except for Abraham wins the battle, rescues Lot, and when he does, in chapter, in chapter 14, the... Um, the king of Sodom comes out to meet Abraham and says, listen, give us all of our people, but you can have all of the spoil. You can have our homes. You can have all of our stuff. And Abraham makes this profound statement in verse 23. I will not take a thread, a sandal, or anything that's yours for fear that you would say, I have made Abraham rich. There are times to not take money. 
There are times to not take money. You'll remember when Elisha healed Naaman the leper, the, that he, the leper comes back healed. Naaman comes back healed. Elisha doesn't even come out of his tent, sends Gehazi out, and the, the commander wants to give Elisha a bunch of money, make him rich. And Elisha tells the servant, tell him I'm not taking his money. So the man leaves with all of his money and all of his entourage, and Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, waits till he gets a few blocks away, then takes off after him and said, hey, my master changed his mind. He'll take some of your money. He gets a bunch of money, hides it in his tent, gets back to Elisha's house, and Elisha said, uh, Gehazi, where'd you go? He goes, ah, oh, you know, I just went for a little walk. He goes, Gehazi, don't you know my heart went with you? And then he says this to him, Gehazi, it's not time to take money. And, he, and Gehazi ends up with leprosy. My point is this, is that there are times that, you ha- that God will send us a test, and we need, it, there are times when we have to make sure that we, we are trusting in God and that he doesn't want us to get wealthy from somebody else. I remember um, several years ago, I was uh, speaking in Bakersfield, I think it was like six sessions in three days, and I did two sessions on generosity. And when, uh, when I got done with the second session, there, this church was going through a really hard financial time, and I just felt like I was supposed to speak on generosity. And um, when I got all done uh, with the message, I sat down, and the Lord said to me, you'll not be taking an offering from this church. I said, why not? He said, you can't teach on generosity and then benefit from it. That's manipulation. Well, what I didn't know is they, had, they were in the green room while I was, when I finished the message, and they, as leaders, decided to take a first fruits offering and give me the entire offering. The largest offering in the history of their church, 18 year history of their church came in that day. They took me in the great room and they gave me this, they, they took the offering and they said, we want to give you this money. I said, God told me that I couldn't take an offering, I couldn't take any money from you, that if I was going to preach on generosity, that I couldn't have it benefit me. How many know there are times There are times when you can't take the money. You know how Abraham got rich? Other kings gave him money. But when when the king of Sodom wanted to give him money, he said, it's not time to take money. It isn't a rule, but God will often test your heart. That's a good word. Luke chapter 16, turn there, would you? Verse 9. Jesus said this, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. I want to talk about that for just a minute. I, you know, I, play, uh, I have played basketball at the YMCA for 17 years. The problem is, I really stink. Like, I'm not, I'm not very good at all. And so the first 10 years I played there, there was a bunch of other guys who weren't very good at either, and we got along fine. Then about seven years ago, some young guys, they're, they're mostly young guys anyway, but some young guys who could really play and who were serious about the game, they started coming down at, on Mondays and Fridays, the day I play. And, they, and pretty soon, within about a few months, I was, they were kind of like, okay, who wants Chris on their team? And it was kind of like, yeah, and Chris was sitting a lot. <laughs> and about a year into that, a couple of, they started to draw some really good guys, and pretty soon they were kind of like, you're not playing. 
And when I would play, they would throw the ball at me, and three times they knocked me down in one year, standing over me, on purpose. And I would, walk, I, can't, I would come home for about a year, crying on Mondays and Fridays, and Kathy would say, why don't you quit basketball? I said, no, no, now I'm staying. <laughs> She's like, you need to play golf. I'm like, I'm not old. I am not playing golf. I know it's not an old man's game, but... So I was, one day I came home, I was coming home from the gym and I was really, the guy had knocked me to the ground and stood over me and he's like, get up, get up. And I'm like, I wish I was 10 years younger right now and I'd lay hands on you and pray about it later. I left that day, I was really, really grieved. And I'm like, okay, maybe Kathy's right, maybe I should quit. And I felt, and I, and I went home that day, and I happened to be reading the book of Luke, and Jesus said, make friends, <laughs> make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon. I'm like, that's money. I should make friends with money. So the next week, I went down, and I found the most influential guy. He'd been coming for several years, and everyone loved him, and he was the best basketball player in the whole, at the Y. And, and he was broke. And I always watched him negotiating for his membership. You know, like he'd come in, they'd be like, oh, you know, I don't have any money, why don't you let me in? And so, he was go- so I'd walk past him as he was negotiating how he's going to get in that week. So I just went in and I paid his year's membership. I didn't tell him, I just paid for it. So that week was still bad. The next week I come back, like on a Friday, and he's like, comes right up to me and he goes, hey, did you pay my membership? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, man, why'd you do that? I'm like, ah, just felt like I should. Making friends, influencing people. I'm sitting on the sideline like I always do, you know, waiting for somebody to, who isn't violent to invite me in. And my friend's like, hey, come play. Hey, you guys, let's, let's have Chris on the team. From that day forward, I was like the most popular guy on the court. They're like, oh, I'll take Chris. No, no, he's on our team. I paid for two other guys' membership who were violent. I figured I need someone to protect me. I've been going now for seven more years. I am beloved there. I walk in, I'm like, hey, 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 let Chris play. He hasn't been here much. Thank you. Luke 16.10, he who is faithful in very little, in a very little thing, will be faithful also in much. He who, is, he who is unrighteous in a very little thing will also be unrighteous in much. You know, some of you are like, you know, if I had a lot of money, I'd give it away. Jesus said you wouldn't. Jesus said the way you deal with your little is the same way you'll deal with a lot. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous mammon, who will entrust true riches to you? It, very simply put, he's saying, if you're not good with money, if, you're, if, you're not, if you don't deal well with money, who's going to entrust spiritual stuff to you? I didn't say it, Jesus did. If you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you what is your own? How many of you would like to own your own house? Take care of your apartment. Kathy and I took this verse to heart since we were young. And we know every time we've rented we always leave that place better than we got it. In fact, we always have done repainted the place. We leave it immaculate because Jesus said, if you take care of what's another's, I'll give you your own. 
No one can serve two masters, for either we would hate the one or we'll love the other, or else he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The actual word there for wealth, there's actually three words in the Greek for wealth. This word is actually the word mammon. It's actually not talking about the, directly money. It's talking about the spirit of money. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and the spirit of money. You can always tell who you're serving, especially during the offering. If you're trying to protect your money, you know who you're serving. Money is influence, power, and provision. The way you handle money is a manifestation of your heart. It is the way you deal with influence, power, and provision in every other area of your life. If God is your master, then money is your servant. But if money is your master, then, then you are its servant. I wish I had more time because I'd like to talk a little bit more about that. You understand that if, um, if, if, look at, this is what money is. Just think about this. If, um, if I fix cars and Eric builds houses and I need, and I, and I need my house built, but he doesn't need his car fixed. How many know we don't have anything to trade? I need what he has, but he doesn't need what I have. Are you with me? I understand this is super simple. So, you know, so what is currency? So, so you know, somebody, in, you know, thousands of years ago invented a currency. So Eric can, you know, Eric can fix my house. And because he doesn't need his car fixed, then I will give him currency, which is not in itself worth anything. It's a, it is a, if you will, it's a security note for my labor, which he doesn't need, which he can pass off to somebody who needs my labor. And so on and so forth. I'm saying those dollars, or however you do it, that check, it's worth nothing except for the labor, the the work, my life's work. Those dollars actually represent my life's work, which he doesn't need. So he passes it off to somebody else because I need his life's work, but he doesn't need mine. So he passes my life's work off to someone who needs it, and therefore he gets something else that he needs. What I'm, getting is, what I'm getting at is that those dollars, they represent my life. <laughs> are, are you with me? They represent my life. So what I do with my power, provision, and influence with those dollars is actually what I do with every other part of my life. That's why you can look at what you do with your money and, think, and know what you do with the rest of your life because money is actually the currency of your life's labor. Are you with me? So when you, let's say you, let's say you give $1,000 to Bethel or whatever you give. You give $1,000 to Bethel, you give $1,000 worth of your life's energy, effort to Bethel because you, can't, you, because you can't keep the lights on. You can't pay for, you can't keep the air conditioning on. You can't pay, you can't, you can't give Eric what he needs to live on and Chris what he needs to live on, so you give $1,000 worth of currency, which is actually $1,000 worth of your effort, so that Bethel could take that currency and give it to the electric company to get what they need, and the, light, and the, life, and, and the, and the beat goes on. You get the idea. I'm saying the currency is actually, it actually represents, it actually, if you will, in a bigger way, it actually is your life's effort. So you can look at what you do. Like, I would encourage you, go look at your checkbook or wherever, however you, you spend your money. Look at that. You can say, this is how I'm actually spending my life's effort. Is what I say I believe and what I actually believe congruent? Are, are you following me? 
So Jesus said, the way you deal with money is actually the kindergarten for everything else. And he said, who's going to trust you with your currency of your life? Who's going to trust you? If you don't spend your currency of your own life well, who's going to trust you with spiritual things? See, he can say that because currency is really your life's effort. Now, somebody, you know, people always say, well, you know what? Wealth isn't a sign of spirituality. Well, it's not unless it is. (laughs) I understand the prosperity gospel and all of that stuff, but here's what I'm, I'm saying. It's not a sign of prosperity unless it is. You're like, well, that's confusing. Okay, Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. Now, Abraham was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. How did he get that way? Because God blessed him and prospered him. In other words, Abraham's livestock, silver, and gold were actually directly related to the fact that he had a relationship with God. Okay, it's going to get worse. Isaac. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich. And he continued to grow richer until he became very rich. Okay, let me read it to you again. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. Why did he reap a hundredfold? Because the Lord blessed him. And then he got rich. And then he got richer. And then he became very rich. Okay, Can you tell me that his riches weren't related to his relationship with God? The Bible says it was. (laughs) The Bible says the reason Isaac got rich wasn't because he was a good businessman, but because God blessed him. So he kept getting richer and richer and richer. I'm saying riches aren't connected to spirituality unless they are. (laughs) Ruth married a guy named Boaz. And what's the commentary on Boaz? He was very rich. Ruth, chapter 2, verse 1. He was very rich. I didn't say it. God did. Second Chronicles, chapter 1, verse 11. Eric uh, read this some time ago. God said to Solomon, because you, because you had in mind and did not ask for riches, wealth, honor, or the life of those that you hate, and you have not asked for long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom, knowledge, that you may rule my people over whom I made you king, wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. And I'll also give you riches and wealth and honor, such as no kings before you have ever seen, no no king after you will ever possess. I just read it word for word. What did God say? God said, listen, Solomon, because you asked for wisdom and honor, no, because you asked for wisdom to rule your people, to lead your people, instead of riches, honor, and wealth, or the life of your enemies. I'm going to give you the wisdom you asked for. I'm also going to give you riches, honor, and wealth, <laughs> that you're going to be richer, have more honor, and more wealth than any king before you, and any king who ever comes after you. <laughs> now, how many you know that his riches, honor, and wealth were directly related to his relationship with God. Spirituality is not related to wealth, unless it is. When when we, on our 40th anniversary, my wife, I said to my wife, what do you want to do for our anniversary? This is about a month before. She said, I want to go to Disneyland. I said, you want to go to Disneyland for our anniversary? 
seriously. Is there anybody else up there? She said, yeah. I said, okay, we went to Disney and we came home. It was still about uh, probably uh, a week before our actual anniversary date. She said, what would you like for anniversary? I said, I like a yellow Corvette. She looked at me. She said, you've been asking that for years. I said, I know. I built six Corvette models as a kid. She said, all right, we're going to get you a yellow Corvette. How many know a yellow Corvette is not a sign your wife loves you? Unless it is. (laughs) Unless it is. Are you with me? I'm saying, you see a yellow Corvette drive down the road, you don't think his wife loves him. Unless he does. Proverbs 3.22. I'm going to kill you. You watch this. Proverbs 3.22. I can already hear the Facebooks coming. Proverbs 3.22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of sinners is stored up for the righteous. Who has the wealth, the righteous or the sinner in this parable? The righteous. Well, you know what? God doesn't want you to be wealthy. Unless he does. If he doesn't, fine. Don't be. (laughs) Proverbs 10.4. Poor is the one who works. I'm sorry. Poor is the one who. (laughs) Poor is he who works with a diligent hand. But the. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not diligent. It's negligent. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. What's the goal of this proverb? The hand of the diligent makes rich. The goal is to be rich. Proverbs 21, 17. He who loves pleasure will become poor. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. What's Proverbs trying to teach you? How to become rich. Deuteronomy 8.18, but you shall remember the Lord your God. This is God to Moses, tell these people this. You shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who has given you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Now, I don't know if you've read the rest of that verse. God says, listen, I'm going to give the people, Moses, tell the people, I'm going to give them power to make wealth, and it will confirm my covenant with them. Well, listen, wealth isn't tied to spirituality, unless it is. When the Israelites got wealthy, God said he was confirming his covenant of kindness to them. He specifically said, you guys are going to get wealthy, and it's going to confirm, I love you. Well, what if I'm poor? Then be poor. I don't care, but don't tell me it's spiritual. Unless it is. If God tells you don't, you know, be poor, you know, live sacrificially, you know, don't have anything, don't take a coat, you know, all of that. If he tells you to do that, then how many know that's spiritual? Then poor is spiritual, and we all honor that. <laughs> Isaiah 60. How many of you know Isaiah 60? Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Deep darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness of people. But the Lord will rise upon you, His glory will be seen upon you. Nations will come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your rising. Look all around, they all come to you. Your sons will come from afar, your daughters will be carried in arms. Then you'll see and be radiant, your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of seas turn to you. The wealth of nations will come to you. Wait, 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 it gets better. Verse 10, foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have compassion on you. 
Your gates will be open continually. What for? They will not be closed day or night, so that men will bring their wealth of the nations to you, their kings leading their processions. <laughs> That's just killing you. Spirituality isn't, con- isn't connected to wealth unless it is. Okay, now, turn to Matthew chapter 25. I want you to turn there. I'm going to show you something I learned this morning at 5.30. 6 o'clock in the morning. Verse 14. For it's just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted, them, entrusted his possessions to him. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, according to their ability. How did he give them? According to their ability. Got that? And he went on a journey. Verse 16, immediately the one who received five talents went out and traded them and gained five more talents. In the same way, the one who received two did the same thing, and the one who received one dug a hole, put it in the ground, his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came back and settled the accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more, saying, Master, you entrust me with five talents. Okay, what's the rest of the verse? Help me. See, I have gained five more talents. Did you see that? See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many Help me. Things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the same thing happened to the guy who got two, and then he goes on to the one who got one. And those, um, and the one who had received, I'm sorry, the one, um, verse 24, and the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and sowing and gathering where you did not spread seed. I, I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow, and I gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put the money in the bank. And on arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. To everyone who has... Did you see this verse 29? For to everyone who has, more shall be given. Did you get that? The rich get richer. And he, who has, and he will have abundance. But the one who does not have, even what he has, shall be what? Taken away. And the poor get poorer. Now, let me just give you a little history lesson. A, a talent in that day was worth about $30,000. A mita was worth about $500. We're going to talk about the mitas in just a minute. So the, one guy who, the guy who got one, he got about 30000 bucks. The guy who got two, he got about 60000 The guy who got... Uh, five talents, he got about $150,000. What happened with the guy who got five? He went out and made, he went out and made five more. And the guy who had two made two more. And the guy who had one hit it. Remember that? Okay. First of all, let me just say this, that a lot of things that are called stewardship are just fear. A lot of times what people call stewardship is just being afraid. And I would just, you know, this is not in the Bible. This is just my own thoughts. But, you know, sometimes we're so, we look at what we have and we look at what other people have been given that, you know, hey, you know, the least other guy has double what I have. And that guy's got five times what I have. And we're so enamored by what we don't have that we forget what we have. 
And, it, and we, 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 get, we get afraid and paralyzed, and we, we, we end up being afraid to lose what we've been given because we don't know how we made it, how to make it, because it was given to us. Let's see, I didn't do that very well. The problem with an inheritance is that if you don't learn how the guy who gave you the inheritance got the money to give you, then you feel powerless and you either spend the money foolishly or you spend all your life being afraid you're going to lose the money because you don't know how to make it. (laughs) The next thing I want to say is wealth attracts wealth. If you're poor, you'll attract more poverty. If you're rich, you'll attract wealth. And people say it all the time, right? They say, you know, it's just the, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Yeah, Jesus said, that's the way I designed it. People that are faithless, that don't want to take a risk, that are lazy, they get poorer. So much for communism. So much for socialism. Okay, I could get political in a minute, but I won't. Somebody once said, if you divided all the money in the world up equally so that everybody in the world got the exact same amount of money, in five years, the people who were, who were once rich will be rich again. The people who were once poor five years from now will be poor again. And the people who are middle class will be middle class. You know why? Because wealth tends to be a manifestation of personhood. I said tends to. Listen, if you're poor... You're poor. But listen, if you need money, don't ask for money. Ask why you need money. And it might just be that you need money. I told you about our journey. You know, I know what it is to be broke. I I grew up poor. I grew up on welfare. I'm not preaching at somebody. I'm telling you my story. And I just, I got done telling you that I spent 25 years of my married life sabotaging any kind of wealth that would come into my life because I thought it was evil and wrong. And, you know, I, I made fun of every, you know, prosperity teacher. So, and I, I don't consider myself a prosperity teacher, but I certainly am a steward teacher. And if Jesus said, I want to make you wealthy, I'm like, kill me with kindness. <laughs> Turn to Luke chapter 11, nine, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 9, nine, start over, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. This is the story of the minus. Now, what's really interesting is a mina is $500. Okay, a talent is how much? $30,000. But a mina is what? $500. Now, look at this story. I used to think these were identical stories with two different amounts of money. And this morning, I'm reading these stories, and I felt like the Holy Spirit opened my mind to the place where I'm I'm actually going to write my next book about this. I, I I hope this really helps you. Verse 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Stop for a minute. You understand the Old Testament eschatology was that the Messiah was going to come back, set up his kingdom, and rule the world. So they didn't have any, they didn't know there was a first coming and a second coming. So Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. They're throwing down palm branches and they're, they think they're making Jesus king. That's why. You know, that's why the disciples are asking, can we sit on your left and right hand in the kingdom? They're not thinking in the kingdom like heaven. They're thinking now. This is Jewish eschatology. Are you with me? So he's on his way to, to Jerusalem, and they think the kingdom's going to come immediately. And he tells them a parable to show them that the kingdom is going to come progressively. Did you get that? 
So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country. Who's the nobleman that's going to a distant country? Jesus. Jesus, to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves, and he gave them ten minus. And he said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated them, sent a delegation after him, say, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered these slaves to whom he had given the money to be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. Okay, stop for a minute. Okay, you'll notice in the parable of talents, he gave one, three, no, one, two, and five, and that he gave them according to their ability. Why? It was a lot of money. Got me? He gave them according to their ability. But he didn't give these guys different amounts. He gave them all 500 bucks. Are you following me? Okay. Now, it says, when he returned, the first appeared to him saying, Master, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said, well done, good and faithful slave, because you are faithful with the very little, you will have authority over 10 cities. Did you see that? The second came saying, your mina master has made... Your, your mind and master has made five minas, and he said to him, you are over five cities. Another came and said he buried the man. Okay, let me just stop right there. I want you to notice something. In the parable of the talents, did you notice that they, the, the, each slave came to the master and said, I have made, you have, gave me, you have given me five talents, and I have made five more. And what did the slaves that made the talents, made more talents, what were they put over? More stuff, more things. Are you with me? How did they make the money? They said, Master, I have made five more. Did you notice in the parable of the minas that they said, Your minas have made more minas? What did they get? They got to be over cities, not over stuff. You know why? Because one guy, one guy learned how to make money. The other guy, the other guys, Learned how to create an ecosystem in which the money makes money. See, when you can teach your money how to make money, now you can create ecosystems in which if money... Listen, Master, your mina has made more minas. How many understand that if you can create ecosystems of prosperity, now you can be over cities? Because if you can do that with money, then you can do that with cities. This is the only place in the New Testament in which it tells you how to actually pastor a city. It says, if you can learn how to create wealth, you understand that there's a power to create wealth. Most people spend their life working for money. This, these guys learned how to make money work for them. They learned the secret of the power of money. The money worked for them. They didn't work for the money. In the parable of the talents, they worked for the money. In the parable of minas, the money worked for them. Are you following me? And what I'm getting at is this. Did you notice that the first guys and the talents, story of the talents, they got thousands of dollars, 30,000, 60,000, 150,000. But the guy in the, in the story of the minas actually only got $500. How many know it's not what you have, but what you do with it that matters? You look at people that grew up in a wealthy home and you're like, I'll never have what they have. Yes, but you take your 500 bucks and you teach your 500 bucks how to make bucks. 
And pretty soon God goes, you know what? You're so good with money, you should have authority over people. You'll teach people how to reproduce themselves. If you can teach money how to reproduce itself, you can teach people how to reproduce itself. You should be over a city. How about ten of them? Well, that's a lot more powerful than you're thinking right now. I laid on the couch for about 15 minutes thinking my mind was totally blown this morning. I'm like, oh my God, this is the secret of prospering cities. This is the secret right here of prospering cities. That money makes money. This is the difference between rich people and wealthy people. Rich people have money. Wealthy people have an ecosystem that reproduces more wealth. Henry Ford said, take all of my Take all my factories and burn them down. Take every possession I have and take it from me. Steal it, burn it, and give me back my employees. And in five years, I'll have everything back again because the things you see around me are already in me. Something happens when you learn how to make wealth, not money. I have five minutes. I want to give you eight differences between rich people and wealthy people. I'll just give them to you quickly. I probably won't comment on any of them. Rich people get their identity from their things they own. Their houses, cars, yachts, money. Wealthy people's identity comes from who they are, not what they own. Number two, rich people either spend a lot of time trying to not lose their money or waste it on themselves. Wealthy people's money is just an expression of who they are, so they are not cont- they, they are content. Start over. Wealthy people's money is just an ex- expression of who they are, so they are content in their well-being. Number three, rich people work for money. Wealthy people's money works for them. Number four, rich people think their assets. No, rich people think of their assets, while wealthy people dream of their legacy. Number five. Rich people give to people. Rich people give to people. Wealthy people invest in people with an expectation of return on investment measured by a predetermined outcome. Examples are a changed life, a transformed neighborhood, a business profit. I'd like to read that again. Rich people give to people. Wealthy people invest in people with an expectation of a return on investment measured by a predetermined outcome. Examples are a life change, a transformed neighborhood, a a business profit. That's a good word. Number six, rich people think their money protects them. They have a sense of being above the law. Solomon put it like this, a rich man's wealth is like a strong city, like a high wall in his own imagination. Wealthy people are inherently humble because they are thankful, knowing that the source of their provision is the Lord. Number seven, rich people have a vision for the things they can buy. Wealthy people have a vision for the legacy they can leave. Number eight, most, most rich people, um, sorry, most rich people's money was given to them. They received an inheritance, won a lottery or a lawsuit, got lucky in a stock market. Therefore, they don't know how to reproduce it, how to make more. This creates a lot of insecurity in their souls. Wealthy people have wisdom and power to create wealth. Therefore, they live with confidence and aren't afraid of the future. Would you stand? No, I'm going to ask you in just a minute, don't do it yet, to put your hand on your heart if you want to be wealthy. Now, if you don't want to be wealthy, please don't put your hand on your heart. Because I am actually very serious about this. 
So if you want to be wealthy, I want you to put your hand on your heart. I didn't say rich. I'm not praying for anyone to get rich. I'm only praying for you to become wealthy. I just explained to you some of the differences. Are you with me? So I want you to become wealthy, not rich. So if, if you don't want wealth, please don't put your hand on your heart. You just screw up your whole life and have to live rejecting people. So, Father, I just pray right now, you told me this morning that you wanted to teach me the principles of riches because you want to change the world, and that takes money. And so I pray right now that every single person that's watching by Bethel TV or that's in this room that has their hand on their heart right now, I just pray, I pray right now that, that you, what you said in Deuteronomy, that you had given the people money to make wealth as a sign of their covenant of kindness towards them. So I pray right now for the covenant of Moses and the covenant of Abraham, that you would release, that you would release wealth on your people, not money, the ability to make wealth, that money would make money, that friends would make friends, that prosperity would make prosperity, that you would cause everybody in the sound of my voice that wants to be wealthy, Lord, I pray that you would release wealth on them. I pray that you release wealth that they don't hang on to, that they don't get their identity from. That they, that they don't, that, that they're not afraid they're going to lose. And I pray that we would all be, unlike the, the rich young ruler, that we would actually be willing to give up whatever it is you want us to give up, knowing that you'll just give it to us again. No, that's the truth. You'll just give it to us again. Lord, I just released that on every one of us. I break the fear, the fear of poverty. I break the fear of it. I break the fear that if I, if I give away something, then I'll have less. I break that thing right now. You have a very wealthy daddy who loves to give good gifts to people who aren't fearful and lazy. And Lord, I break off that teaching of grace that causes us to not work hard. Because you said we were created for good works in Christ Jesus. You said that we're to work with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. So, Lord, I just release that on us right now, that we would be like the good servant in Proverbs, that we would work and that you would prosper us and that our children's 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 children would benefit from this message tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so very much.